0: Thanks for tuning in. Christy Wilson was a pretty young woman with brown hair and brown eyes. She was outgoing, loved animals, and had a big heart. Christy's parents, Dennis and Debbie, divorced, and her mother married Pat Boyd. Christy and her sister took kickboxing classes together and her stepfather was a sergeant with the San Jose Police and provided them with tips on self-defense. Christy knew how to take care of herself. She graduated from high school and went on to get a degree in production operations management from Chico State University in California in 2000. Christy managed to get a job in a high-tech industry but it was a job that did not suit her and she was terminated. That experience was repeated many times over the next few years. Court records revealed that Christy began struggling with depression and was on medication. She had an on-again, off-again relationship with Daniel Berlando. They met at a casino where Christy liked to gamble. She would borrow money and had fun when she won. But when she lost she would lose control. Her gambling concerned Danny and her family. With the couple's lack of jobs, they were under a lot of stress and fought often. In March 2005, they got into another argument. This time, it ended in a physical fight. Danny called the police. They arrived to find him with scratches on his neck and chest, both Christy and Danny were arrested, but neither were prosecuted. In September, Christy, who was now 27, made steps to improve her life. She sought help to deal with her depression and anxiety. She'd gone to two interviews for a large eyeglass company and had done so well, she was scheduled for a third interview. Christy kept in constant contact with her friends and family. On Tuesday, October 4th, she emailed them and left her mama voicemail. That night, Danny went to a family get-together and didn't invite Christy. At 7 p.m., she drove to the casino and sat down at a blackjack table. Going from table to table, she eventually met Mario Garcia, a 53-year-old husband and father of two boys. He coached his sons at soccer. He was a senior technical project manager for a health information tech firm. He'd done well for himself. The family lived in an upscale home on five acres. Christy was drinking, enjoying herself, and in a good mood. She told Mario about losing her job, and he offered to help her get a new job and bought her a glass of wine. At 10.30pm she called Danny and told him she would be home soon. But she stayed another two and a half hours. She returned to the blackjack table with Mario. They continued to drink. At one point it's thought that Mario slipped a date rape drug into Christy's drink. She later complained of a stomachache and diarrhea, both symptoms of that type of drug. The couple were seen kissing and hugging, but then Christy started losing. She borrowed money from Mario and another player at the table. Her mood turned dark, and she became angry and abusive. The casino pit boss was called and just as she was about to be thrown out, she got up to leave and accidentally dropped her cell phone under the table. At 1.13 a.m., Christy and Mario walked out into the cool night air and towards Mario's white Toyota Camry. He pressed the key fob and the headlights flashed, blinding the security cameras. It is not known exactly what happened next, but investigators believe that Mario made advances towards Christie, and that she turned him down. So he grabbed her and she fought back, scratching him on the face and neck and gave him a black eye. He managed to subdue her and throw her into the back seat. Three minutes and 41 seconds later, Mario's white Camry left the parking lot. At 2 a.m., when Christie hadn't arrived home, Danny went to bed. When he awoke the next morning, he called her phone. At 7.51 a.m., Mario called his wife. The cell phone pinged, not from his house, but a location to the north. At work, he had a meeting scheduled for 9 a.m. and arrived an hour late with scratches on his face and a burst blood vessel in his left eye. He explained that he'd been working in his yard with a tractor when a branch got caught. Mario didn't stay long. He finished the meeting and left work early. He returned home, climbed on the tractor, and continued landscaping. Danny continued to call Christine numerous times throughout the day, he called the local hospitals and even the jail looking for her. The next day, when Christy still wasn't home, he drove to the casino. There, he spotted her car. He went inside and asked them to track her down, using her player's card, and to page her. Meanwhile, Mario went to a medical care center for the pain and blurriness in his eye. The doctor noticed his lower lip was swollen and he had scratches on his face, torso, and arms. He told the doctor he'd been in a tree when the branch broke and that he'd fallen 15 feet. The medical staff didn't believe his story. He was treated with antibiotics and referred to an eye doctor. Later, the eye doctor he saw believed that his blurriness was caused by an infection but not falling out of a tree, as Mario claimed. Because the nature of the infection wasn't related to a plant source, and the doctor felt his eye was consistent with a punch and fingernails clawing at it. At the casino, staff could not locate Christy. Danny called her parents and reported her missing to police. He gave them access to their apartment, computer and phone records, and he willingly participated in a two-hour interview. Police provided the casino with photos of both Christy and Danny and asked them to search their surveillance video. On Friday, two days after Christy disappeared, police and volunteers searched far and wide for her. Her stepfather, Pat, knew that they were racing against the clock, that every minute they didn't find her, meant there was less chance that she was alive. At the Placer County Sheriff's Department, a sergeant reviewed the casino videotape, and it showed Christy leaving with a man. Using the man's player card at the casino, they were able to identify him as Mario Garcia. Saturday, Mario went to a drugstore and purchased a variety of anti-itch creams and laundry detergent. His son Chris had an important soccer game, but Mario was working on the tractor in the yard and firmly told Chris that he wasn't going to the game. Chris found that very unusual. Then Mario made a trip to the local landfill as his home did not have garbage pickup. A few hours later, the sergeant visited Mario's home. He pulled in to see him standing in the front yard, and he appeared nervous and kept looking towards his house. When he was asked about Christie, he admitted that he'd been at the casino and that he'd lost a lot of money, and if his wife found out, she would be upset. He said that he and Christy left at the same time, but weren't together. And when Christy was in the parking lot, she realized that she'd lost her cell phone and went back to the casino. The sergeant left Mario and returned to the casino. He asked if the surveillance videotape showed Christy returning. They did not. So the sergeant returned to Mario's house and asked him to come to the station and provide a statement. Mario arrived at the station with his lawyer he walked into the interview room and buttoned up his shirt. The sergeant told him he wasn't under arrest and was free to leave, but that he was under suspicion. He was the last known person to see Christie. Mario stated that he went to the casino and flirted with Christie, that he'd gotten pretty drunk and loaned her money, and although they left together, Christy was not with him He claimed he drove home alone and arrived at 2 a.m. The sergeant told Mario that they would be checking his car for fingerprints, saliva, hair, and skin, and encouraged him to talk, to tell him everything. And he asked if he could take a photo of Mario's black eye, but Mario refused. When the interview ended, the sergeant pointed the camera at him. Mario held up his hand and blocked the lens. That night, Mario went home and using a digital camera took a photo of himself that showed marks on his chin, forehead, and neck. He panicked and deleted the photo. The next day was Monday, October 10th. Mario went to work. Meanwhile, the sheriff's office secured a search warrant for Mario, his car, and his house. But Mario, not knowing this, used his computer at home that evening and searched the word forensics. Tuesday, Mario worked from home. That night, he used his computer and searched the California penal code for warrants. Police had also been busy working that day. Although Mario's car appeared to have been vacuumed and cleaned, an evidence technician found a hair belonging to Christy wedged in a door handle on the outside of the front passenger door. Then, in the trunk, they found a collapsible baton. Wednesday, Mario worked from home again. That night, he used his computer and searched for toxicology and visited a website that discussed date rape drug screens and the method for testing. Thursday, Mario went into work. Scent Dog searched both the casino and Mario's property. On Friday, it had been ten days since anyone had seen Christy, and the stress was taking a toll on Mario. He was having chest pains. He called in sick and went to the hospital. Officers swooped in and arrested him for possession of a deadly weapon for the baton found in his car. He was held on a million dollars bail. Another search of his car was carried out. On the door handle on the inside of the driver's door, a swab was taken that matched Christie's DNA and Mario's. The technicians also found hairs from Christy in the rear passenger floorboard and in the trunk. The trunk was missing its carpeting, but investigators were able to confirm that when Mario purchased the car a year earlier, the trunk had been carpeted. They also discovered five small blood stains on the back seat. The stains were consistent with blood splatter, the type caused by scratching. The blood matched both Christy and Mario. On October 28th, Three weeks after Christie's disappearance, Mario was arrested and charged with first degree murder. A year later, he went on trial. It lasted two months with nearly 90 witnesses. Mario maintained his innocence and denied having anything to do with Christie's disappearance. He took the stand in his own defense, which only turned out to hurt his case when he said that Christy had never been in his car, but couldn't explain why her DNA was. The emergency room doctor testified that she found Mario's injuries to be consistent with a struggle in close quarters and not the result of falling out of a tree. The bruises on his arm were indicative if he bite Mark, and the injuries on his back and legs were from a fight. Not a fall. A detective testified that based on eyewitnesses at the casino, Christy exhibited signs that she had consumed a date-rape drug. Symptoms that included slow or slurred speech, impaired motor skills, upset stomach, and diarrhea. Remember that photo Mario took that night of himself with scratches? He deleted it? But it turned out forensic technicians were able to recover it. In the end, even though Christie's body hadn't been found, the DNA evidence convinced the jurors that Mario was responsible for her murder and found him guilty. The Sacramento Bee reported that when the verdict was read, her mother Debbie and her family cried out in the courtroom, Yes! It was then revealed that Mario had been previously arrested for rape and battery in 1979 and after a delay in the proceedings, plotted down to guilty of assault with a deadly weapon and had been sentenced to 18 months probation. This conviction meant that his murder sentence could be doubled. Christie's family hoped that Mario would disclose where her body was in hopes of a lighter sentence. But that didn't happen. He would not give them closure. Over the years, two dedicated detectives continued the search for Christie, Nuno Tavares and Don Murchison. At one point, they even pumped out an entire septic tank and went through its contents by hand. In an interview with CBC's 48 Hours, Christie's mother said she never went to bed without wondering where her daughter was. Where did Mario Garcia put her? And you know what Don wanted to bring Christy home? To give Debbie and her family a place where they could be with her. The detectives reached out to Mario's two sons to see if they could recall anything in the days after Christie went missing. His son Chris recalled the soccer game that his dad missed and instead was on the tractor landscaping their property. They asked Chris to accompany them to the property so that he could point out the location. In 2020, it had been 15 years since Christie was murdered The two detectives used a company with ground-penetrating radar and scanned Mario's five acres. Eight possible spots were identified. They began digging. The first and second holes produced nothing. Then on the third hole, 300 feet from the house, they dug. Out of the corner of his eye, Nuno spotted a bone poking up out of the ground. Time stood still and he held his breath. An archaeologist confirmed the bone was human. They had found Christy. It would take a day for forensics to confirm it was her but they couldn't wait. They flew to Arizona and at midnight knocked on Debbie and Pat's door. The autopsy revealed that Christie's hand and nose were broken but couldn't establish a cause of death. Her remains were cremated and she was finally laid to rest. On December 24th, Mario passed away in prison without ever admitting he murdered Christie. Her mother has found some peace. She no longer spends each day wondering where her daughter is. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Mark Twichell. He diagnosed himself as a psychopath. Fascinated with the TV show Dexter, he turned his dream of making a movie about a serial killer into being the serial killer. He draped the room in plastic and waited for his victim. If you are dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderand 20com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murderin20 at Patreon, PayPal, or Murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects and fasting studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.